how do we write music where everybody feels fulfilled in what they're doing while it also serves the greater whole? Mm. And so there's times where I might have to make a little bit of a concession for a part that maybe I think like, oh, this isn't my favorite thing, but letting this person have this moment in this song is going to bring enough fulfillment to them in their writing that in the next part of this song where I really need them to not do all the stuff that they were trying to do, it's a lot easier for them to like tone a thing down because they feel fulfilled. So learning like why, why do you love playing bass? Why do you love playing guitar? Like what is it about playing guitar that makes you happy? Is it like noodling and playing solos? Well, that might not really work with the band. Is it, you know, is it because you really love being able to just like thrash around on stage and have fun? Okay, how do we incorporate that into the song? Or like, how do we incorporate your vision into the song so that you feel fulfilled, but the overall project is also feeling completed? Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, Lead the Team Nation. We've got a treat in store for you today with Mr. David Wimbush, who is the band leader, lead singer, and songwriter of one of my favorite bands, The Collection. This is a truly special episode. Now, if you're not familiar with with The Collection, you're about to get really familiar with them. They are from North Carolina, and they've put out three albums that have been praised by Parade Magazine and American Songwriter and top 10 judges favorite on NPR's tiny desk contest, which tiny desk is so cool. And they've toured the country with hundreds of dates opening up for the Oh Hellos, Sammy Ray and the friends, ripe and Larkin Poe, which that's how we first got to know you was when you opened up for Larkin Poe. And of course they have generated garnered, they've generated garnered millions of streams across platforms. David, welcome to lead the team. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Oh man, and he's got a he's got a, such a sweet mic there. But <laughs> man, so y'all, we went back and forth to get to get this interview because he's moving or just moved, and he's about to go to Nepal. So why are you going to Nepal? <laughs> you know, it's just one of those years where a lot of stuff's been pretty heavy, and it just mm. felt good to skip uh, the the holiday season and get out and get out of the country. So my brother was like, "Hey, I'm going backpacking to Nepal. Do you want to join?" And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds perfect." So I I love hopping on the road or traveling every chance I get. I just love being in new places, so it feels like a good chance. Yeah. So how has travel informed your songwriting? Mm. I mean, I think uh, I think it can be so easy to get stuck in how you view other people when you just stay in the same place all the time. And um, I've been lucky to visit 47 states and uh, have been to quite a few other countries as well. And you just like you learn a lot about how different people are in certain ways. And yet, like how similarly people are like just dying for connection and community and hopefulness 
And so mm-hmm. I think just being able to see that like no matter where people are at, there's like some similar threads that run through it is like a particular part of travel that feels really helpful. And also I'm just, I'm pretty introverted in a lot of ways. And so like, especially being able to travel like off by myself or without the band, like in between places can be such a helpful way for me to process uh, songwriting in general, just to like come up with new ideas and, and get my head out of the space. Wow. So. Yeah. It sounds like travel has transformed you. Oh, in, totally. In ways, every little trip. Totally. It's one of the most important things in my life, I think. So in Nepal, uh, that's pretty remote. I mean, we're talking, <laughs> that's a journey just to get there. So, so it's going to primarily be a backpacking trip. Are you going to take like a journal to write yeah, songs on sure. the way? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're backpacking through the Himalayas and the journal will be in full force. And I probably won't have phone service for like eight days or something, which I can't even re- remember the last time I didn't have phone or email for that long. So it's going to be uh, probably challenging, but also really beautiful to just be like, well, here's my thoughts and here's stuff to read and here's stuff to write. And that's about all I have. <laughs> that's it. You're writing it down. Do you, are most of your songs written by hand in a journal or do you leverage computers and cell phones and whatnot to, to write songs? Yeah, it's not, the journal is not typically how it comes together, but I do think, I think typically what it is, is like the journal becomes kind of a stewing pot to throw in a lot of, you know, thoughts. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's like you just have to like get all the ingredients into the pot, (laughs) but the journal itself is not the finished stew. You know, it's like, got it. So it's a collection device. No pun intended. Yeah, exactly. No, (laughs) yeah, exactly (laughs) though. That's, it's, I've rarely written, I've rarely written the words to a song and had it become a song. Um, exactly because i think tone is so important and like Hmm. the way that you like shape a word like i don't know it's like if i if i'm writing a song and i'm playing in the key of like i don't know a flat for example like there's like a roundness to like a flat and then if like all my words Hmm. are are like rhyme schemes that have words like forever it like doesn't really like it it may not work with the key of a flat because it's like not super round and so a lot of times like writing in just a journal it's like it's hard for me to apply those lyrics to any piece of music because it won't totally match but it ends up just like being something that i marinate on and then eventually Mm -hmm. when i am trying to write a song it might be like oh yeah like this line pops in my head or like the theme of what i wrote can be transformed into something else that actually does match the tone of the music in some way wow so what's been your journey to, you know, when did you discover you could write music? And that was interesting of you, interest of yours. And what was your journey from early life to uh, founding the band? My family is very musical. So there was always music growing up. We would sing together. We were in choirs. We were, you know, taking piano lessons. My, my mom taught a lot of music. And so... I don't know, early life was just like very involved in music and every, I have three siblings and like every, every one of my siblings and my parents can play at least one instrument very well. Um, and, and they can all sing too. So wow. it's just like a pretty okay. normal part of life. Um, but I don't know. I, when I was like in my early teens, I just remember getting so into music and, um, I would hear songs that just moved me so much emotionally. And, and I just remember having this feeling of like, I want to create that feeling for other people. Like I want to be able to, to make something that can move people. And I I think especially like in my mid to late teens, I was listening to a lot of music that just felt very honest and very vulnerable about 
mental health struggles and uh, people having a hard time. And I think then going through whatever version of a hard time I was going through at, you know, even as a teen, like there's so much that you're just processing. Like it's, it's hard for me to remember now, but I know in the moment of being a teen, it's like, you're learning so much about yourself and how you relate to other communities and, um, Mm. and friends. And you're like, you're trying out like maybe being like bad, so to speak, and then it doesn't work. And then you lose friendships and like just a lot of stuff. That's like middle school. And yeah. Yeah. And then like you listen to these songs and it's like, whoa, this person I've never met, like knows exactly how I'm feeling. And they put it into a song. And I don't know, I just always felt like I want to be able to, to do that or learn how to communicate clearly in some ways, just a desire to be a clear communicator, I think. Um, yeah. So I was, so what's I was, a song yeah. that you remember from your youth that revealed that, that honesty to you? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, oh, a song that I listened to in, in my youth. Oh, that's a good, for, for a second, I thought you meant a song I wrote in my youth and I was like, I'm, I'm not sure I can go there. <laughs> Better dust off the, the, yeah. the, the old journal yeah. from middle school. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, there was an artist, Bright Eyes, that I was super into growing up. Um, and I just felt like a lot of Bright Eyes music was like, you know, I mean, it was in this like emo revolution. And so in some ways it kind of got like, people were just like, oh, bright eyes. Like that's what like crybabies listen to, you know, but it was, it, it was also just this feeling, I think of hearing, honestly, hearing a male, like a masculine presence being vulnerable about like pain that just wow. felt so striking yeah. to me because I think most of the like masculine energy I was around was pretty like just, just typical American masculinity, which is like, you know, co- like try to cover up your emotions and be even <laughs> don't show that. And and it was really cool, you know, to, yeah, to like hear people like really being honest about something, even if sometimes it was a bit over the top. So I don't even know that I can think of a specific Bright Eyes song, but just a lot of Bright Eyes was a, a big part of me, like unfolding my own hmm. desire to write songs. So, so cool. Yeah. So one of the things that came up for me listening, uh, listening to you describe your childhood as your mom teaching piano. And I thought, do you think David's mom taught him how to stand on top of the piano while playing it? <laughs> which i've seen uh in, in an impressive way recently she didn't teach me that but my parents are i mean they've both been very active in their lives they both like run races and bike and do a lot of pretty active stuff so so that also like physical activity has been a pretty big part of my my life but no i mean most of that was honestly like i just when i started going to concerts when i was younger i I think I just like often felt disappointed because I would get so into a band. I would love their album. And then I would go to a show and it would just be all these people just standing there completely still. And they look bored out of their minds and the the songs sound exactly like they do on the record. And it would just be like, what am I even doing here? Like this band doesn't even seem like they love what they're doing. And the few times I would see shows where people were just, you know, into the music while they played, it was so passionate. And I always like from the beginning of having a band, it was like, I want this show to to reflect how much we love doing what we do. And so I don't know, we've just kind of gradually become more active in the show as we've like gotten older and gotten into it. You <laughs> I, I, a couple things from a live show that immediately have impacted me from uh, working with seeing you guys. Number one, uh, we drove from Charleston to Charlotte to see Larkin Poe. And we're like, well, we you know, we're never gonna miss an opener. We're going to show up early. Wow, and, dollar saints. <laughs> and, well, I tell you what, uh, you guys brought it so, so hard. Uh, we instantly, I'll, I'll, and I remember you were playing uh, Taste Like Wine 
I believe for the opener, I believe. And ever you all started just dancing and marching in place that dun, that, that, that keyboard riff, dun, 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 yeah. dun. Does that taste like wine? I think yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And we're like, wow, something's about to happen. And then when you hit that chorus in there, it's like you you and your band just explode in this place. And I mean, everyone was having their cocktails and all that. Everyone's face just went, whoa, hmm. what is happening? <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. We're like, we're listening to this band. In poems of grace. In my lost, found, or in my just so then you go off and you do your tour. You know, you're touring with Sammy Ray, and I wish I would have seen y'all with them because I bet that was going to be that was on fire from what I heard about fun. it. Yeah, <laughs> we all played in Charleston, and you're and you're still kind of building your your following here. We we saw you open up for Ripe, and that was awesome. And then we you. you you came here relatively recently and did a show and people don't know about you as much here. Kind of a, a kept well-kept cigarette, but not for long, but you played to a smaller audience, but I'll tell you what you brought as much heat uh, to a smaller audience as you did playing to a thousand people. Oh, that's and good. To hear. <laughs> my daughter sitting there with her mouth open, watching you and everybody. So that that's one. I mean, what where do you find the energy as a band and as a leader to do that night after night mm. well i'll say about that like specifically i just i just think i mean it's of course you know we've we've had some shows where you show up and it's like oh there's 10 people here and like you know it's it's hard to get out of your head with that kind of thing or um, not that Charleston was that, but you know, you show up to Charleston and it's like, okay, there's 50 people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be really easy to get into your head about it. But I just try to remind myself like, yeah, but all of those people paid money to see this show. Like, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to give them a crappier show because somebody else didn't show up. Like that doesn't make any sense. So I think we've, we've tried to work really hard to even at the small shows, just be like, every person paid for this. They came to see something that they paid for and and they don't deserve to have something less. So that's been really important for us. Um, Mm. I don't know, you know, that I, there's something about spontaneous music making that feels so um, connective to me. I think part of it is that in lives that we lead that are so, that are so busy and, you know, you're always like, oh, here's my work email. Oh, here's my text from my friend. Oh, I'm looking at my phone. Oh, I have to think about what's happening in, in the future. Like stressed out about rent, stressed out about whatever. I mean, it's 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 so rare to get people in a room that are all focused on the same thing and trying to like be in the same emotional, energetic mm. space. It doesn't happen very often. And I feel, I guess, like a great sense of responsibility with that. Like if people are coming together in this room and we are going to to share an energetic space, like I feel responsible for like what that space looks like and, and what we're presenting. And also like I get so much joy from from feeling that or being able to help coordinate that. And I think that's usually what keeps me going every night because tour is exhausting and, and, and oftentimes very, very difficult. But I, I've found myself like, after you know weeks at a time of barely sleeping and like eating crappy food and not having a home and like driving so far 
you're just so tired and you sound check and like I, I've had so many times where during sound check and setup, I'm sitting there being like, I don't even know if I can play the show tonight. Like I'm so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be that five minutes before stage and we're warming up in the background and like the energy will just come and like step on stage and it's all of a sudden just like the collective energy of the people in the room, it just like explodes in my body. And it's like in those moments of playing that show, everything in me is like, how could I not be doing this? Like, this is the greatest gift I've ever had in my life is to get to like play this show. So I don't know. It just keeps me going. <laughs> well, while you were describing, you talked talk about paying the rent and I immediately thought about uh, won't stop yet. Yeah. <laughs> was that written on tour or during the pandemic or, or where did that um, song was, come to you? Yeah, it was, it was started on tour. Actually, we played, we played a cruise um, called the rock boat uh like last year and the first night the waves were so bad that like everybody on board was seasick and i went back to my room and i just like i couldn't stand up i felt so terrible and the boat was just rocking and and there's no phone service so i couldn't i couldn't watch any tv i couldn't look at anything like and I, i was too sick to even read and so i was sitting there in that moment and I was trying to think about our show the next day because it was like most people on that boat didn't know who we were. So I knew we were going to be playing in front of a brand new audience. And I was like, I wonder if I could write a song that I could teach people to sing with us very, very quickly. So I opened my computer feeling sick and started plugging in some beats and some chords. And then that's when like the chorus of Won't Stop Yet came to me. And I didn't get it finished in time to be able to teach the audience, but that's where it started. And it just kind of felt funny to be on the edge of like, throwing up on a boat and writing like that i won't stop yet (laughs) um and then i I got home after that cruise and i finished the verses basically wow okay (laughs) what a story (laughs) that's not at all what i thought the origin of that was and i just love getting the inside scoop on that song y'all check that (laughs) song out And that's a cool video that, uh, that you guys made. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Really cool. Oh, man. Okay. So that, that was really, that was good. The other thing is, uh, for the listeners, too, when you see the collection, you may have a moment where you're thinking to yourself, this may be the happiest band <laughs> I, I've ever seen. You just seem happy. And there's a lot of interplay between the musicians with each other on stage, laughing and smiling. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> but every, so for seeing you three times and every time this is it's coming to me, <laughs> is this just like what's happening or what? what? Yeah. I, we really focus a lot on our, our interpersonal relationships. I mean, I think that's the only way to make this thing function. Mm-hmm. And especially when like you, like I said, like you're dealing with, on the road like months of being exhausted and cranky and having to like lift heavy equipment and having to deal with like sometimes incompetent like venue or sound people and like you know sometimes not getting paid that much for what you're doing and whatever it's just it's such a mind game constantly that like you really have to be tight as human beings to be able Mm -hmm. to like to, to be able to survive that, like, like your interpersonal relationships cannot be an added thing, bringing you down on the road. They have to really be a boost. And so mm. we spend so much time on that. And I think it just ends up coming through. Like we just have a lot of trust with each other. So then when we go on stage, 
you know, there will sometimes just be a moment that happens. Like, I'm pretty sure that like that thing you were talking about on You Taste Like Wine, it's like somebody in the band, probably Hayden with the bass, just started doing this kind of high knees jumping thing. Yes. And then somebody else on stage, like Graham or me, somebody just saw him and started doing it too one night. And then, you know, then the next night, and it just happened again. And then eventually you're like, this is fun. We should keep doing this. You know, like those moments of just feeling like joy with each other, they come out of very natural places. Like nobody's sitting in the back being like, hey, we should do this tonight. It's just like, we're, we're, we're connecting as people. We're going out on stage. We're having fun. And then you just kind of like blossom into a natural thing, I think. So so how do you, what are you doing to develop these interpersonal relationships so well? Because you're, you're with them a lot. I'm, I'm thinking about leaders listening to this for their businesses and yeah. their teams. Work for the, they work with the same team a lot. Uh, it can get a little mundane. It can get you know difficult situations. Uh, and you said, and I like what you said about it goes back to working on our interpersonal relationships. Well, what's some stuff that y'all do to to keep that going? Totally. Uh, we have a few things that have helped us a lot um, on tour. You know, one of the big ones that other bands kind of laugh at us for is we have a no sarcasm rule, and it sounds, you know, dumb because you're like, oh, well, we should just be able to joke around with each other. But it's like when you're doing projects for so long with each other, you know, on the first day, sarcasm is kind of fun. But on the fourth day, you're like, oh, now I feel like this person hates me. And we're like, OK, well, let's just save that for outside of the outside of the tour environment. And that way, what we can do instead is just feeling like we're we're only like working on a project or we're like building each other up. Or if we have to then tell somebody something that's difficult, you know, that it's coming from like a true and honest place rather than some way like being disguised in sarcasm. Um, wow. so, yeah, that's a big rule for us on tour. And I mean, it gets broken all the time, but at least setting that standard, it, it's not having it as much as it would, you know, if you didn't have that standard. So, um, yep. Good. What else you got? Any, yeah. Uh, we also, um, we try to do a lot of like encouraging reinforcement. So like probably every three or four shows when we're on the way to our hotel, we just do like a popcorn encouragement session and everybody kind of makes sure that everybody else gets covered by that. And so, you know, it can be anything from like, Hey Hayden, like I've noticed this one bass part that you've like, that you used to get nervous about, like you've, you've crushed it every single night. Like you've just been doing that so well, or it could be like, Hey Joshua, I noticed that you've been like stepping in and like helping other people bring their equipment in, in like a way that you haven't before whatever, just like making sure that then people leave feeling like, wow, like somebody noticed me, somebody appreciated me. Um, and everybody kind of leaves that session being like, you know, getting home and feeling like, all right, like I'm doing good, you know? And so we, we try to do that like pretty regularly whenever we feel a need for it. So people are just feeling very appreciated. Um, so that's one, that's one of the, let's see, I think that there's probably like three or four big things, but that, that is number two. And number three is, um, we're really into the Enneagram. I don't know if you know the Enneagram at all, but oh, yes. Um, uh, Lama, yeah. It's really okay. It's really helped us. It, it just just to be able to understand like, oh, here are the core reasons that this person operates. And when they're in stress mode, here is like kind of the the actions they turn to. And when they're feeling healthy, here's the actions they turn to. And mm. then you're able to like have these conversations, you know, like then when somebody who you know, there's somebody in our band who's an Enneagram two and an Enneagram two is somebody who uh, really loves to help 
And like the ways that they feel good in their life is to feel needed. Like they want to feel needed by their communities. But the problem, the hang up with the Enneagram too can be that in the process of like wanting to feel needed, they often don't feel validated for things other than that they're helping somebody. And so then we know with the person who is an Enneagram two in our band, like, okay, like at some point we need to make sure that we're giving them like positive reinforcement that is not in any way connected to what they're doing, but instead is connected to who they are because then they'll be able to walk away and be like, Oh, like I feel like I'm being loved for who I am rather than the fact that I helped somebody lift a bunch of stuff. So like the Enneagram has become, you know, I mean, obviously it's just a tool. It's not a static thing of like, well, this means this is what these people's personalities are. But for us, it's been like a generalized tool to like really understand like, this is how this person needs these things that that and love languages for us have been like very important to understand how to like just love on each other really well i love that and enneagram yeah it's it's such an incredible awareness tool right for yourself but the enneagram is so darn good with helping explain like the shadow sides and also help other people interact you know interact from how their Enneagram type may be interacting with the other person. So it can give so much. And what is your Enneagram? Um, I'm an eight. An eight. Okay. Remind uh, me of what that one is. Uh, uh, so the eight is uh, called the challenger. And um, like a three, they tend to be like leaders. Um, they tend to be very straightforward with their speech, um, which is true of me. Um, they can be very intense. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, they're often like go-getters and like they're, they operate, their like primary drive is um, about injustice. Like if they see injustice in the world, they're pretty like, they want to like challenge injustice basically. So I'm an, I'm an eight, but I have a really heavy nine wing, which is the peacemaker mm-hmm. and the eight, wow. the eight being the challenger and the nine being the peacemaker is apparently the rarest combo in the Enneagram. It's like very not, it's the, yeah, it's very, very yeah. not common. But um, I think so, it, did sorry baby come out of your, your eight? <laughs> that's out of the eight, yeah. And I feel like half of my songs are out of the nine. So <laughs> they, um, I think <laughs> at least for me, it's for me, it's like put me in a place of being able to like be a leader and like hold my own vision and kind of like not take no for an answer when I don't think it should be taken, while also having that peacemaker side of like wanting to hear everybody out, wanting to like create a group environment, and wanting mm. to make sure that there's like peacefulness and communication and that like everybody's feeling like loved and served. So I think those are both equally a part of me, which is like um, sometimes very contentious within my own body to find wow. the balance. <laughs> so, so correct me on this. So sorry, baby comes out of your eight rose color glasses. <laughs> that's comes out, out, of out, of, out of the nine. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, yep. That's, that's perfect. Okay. Yeah. Won't stop yet is definitely out of the eight. Uh, and get lost is definitely out of the eight. Um, but there's two other songs on the record. Well, there's one other song on the CP that's coming out that's definitely out of the nine. So, <laughs> well, so if you didn't do Enneagram, you would this would not be as clear as it is. So now, <laughs> you know, we're, like when you write the songs, maybe I, you know my secrets when you hear them. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is that is so cool. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So it, I did not expect today 
to be talking to a rock star saying that he uses the Enneagram with his band. <laughs> Have you had a leadership training in the past or, or where did the Enneagram come up for you? And how did you get into this? I'll say higher level leadership for, for your band. <laughs> I think, um, well, I think like identifying with the eight, I just have tended to become a leader of anything I'm involved in. So I don't know that, that by itself is just like, I think I, I think I naturally like to lead things. And in, in some ways it's because I think I'm pretty good at holding a big vision and I'm pretty bad at, um, I'm pretty bad at following somebody else's vision. <laughs> so I, I get really passionate about my own vision and I'm good at bringing people around who are like willing to, to be a part of that vision. Um, with the Enneagram, actually, I'm pretty sure it was our bass player, Hayden, who got really into it. And I had heard of it. A few, a few others had heard of it, but he really like started bringing in podcasts on tour and we were listening a lot to it. And eventually it just felt like a really helpful tool for everyone. You mentioned your vision. What is your vision for the for the for the band? I think in some ways it changes for every record. Like what it's more like what's the vision for this record? Okay. Um, but I do think I think in general, like if I could have some general vision for the band, it's that I want to like write songs that feel like vulnerable and honest and that like talk about like tiny sparks of hopefulness and like dark places dark rooms <laughs> um i like want to do that with like honesty and transparency and um be able yeah be able to talk about mental health um be able to like be encouraging and also talk about struggle and being able to do that hopefully through the context of songs that people enjoy singing and mm. feel like catchy and fun and and whatnot so so i feel like that's kind of the overall vision for the band and what's been your journey with with mental health? You mentioned it several times. It definitely comes out on the record. And it's interesting how mental health and the seriousness of it is sometimes it's coming across in a very feel-good kind of way with uh with your music because there is so much pop and <laughs> you know, proverbial booty shaking going on. <laughs> and sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes it's a it's a slower song. So really. So yeah, you know, I've struggled with depression my entire life like very deeply as sometimes worse than others and i think um you know if you look at I, I some of this is because we're just becoming more aware of mental health and having better language for it but some of it i also think is just like living in a really high-paced society that's like disconnected from a lot of roots of humanity in certain ways and that mm. rent rent is expensive for people housing is expensive for people cars it's 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 expensive to live it's hard to live and i think that those two things combined has just you know upped the amount of people that have some kind of mental health disorder in okay. such a in such a giant way and at the same time like i i just feel like we we live in a society that has like really not allowed you know it's like it's only a couple generations ago that like if somebody had expressed that they were struggling with mental health, we would cut out part of their brain. <laughs> like, you know, it's really, yeah. it's really not yeah, long ago at, at all that like yeah. people couldn't even talk about that. And like, 
I think especially men like in kind of modern society, like have, have created an environment for themselves and for other men that have made it to where men don't have a place to express their struggle. And so like, you know, men suicide rates are incredibly high. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that for me, like my own mental health journey has been recognizing the depression that I struggle with, recognizing the anxiety I sometimes struggle with and trying my best to figure out ways to be able to be more vulnerable and communicative in hopes that like being able to do that will create more community and more transparency for myself and for other people to be able Mm. to say like, I need help here, you know, whether for me, that's been, you know, at times experimenting with anti-depression meds or, you know, like I go to therapy regularly and, and just, you know, again, like for my generation, I think therapy is is starting to become very, very normal and especially like younger generations, but it's like, you know, even like one generation older than me, like therapy is still pretty stigmatized and it's, it's hard to get people like in my parents' generation to go to therapy because it's still connected with like people being locked in institutions rather than just like, you're having a conversation with somebody who's very skilled at like listening and helping you like find your own answer. So Anyway, that's a long answer, I guess, of just like, for me, mental health has been a lot of like trying to open up and like create transparency and vulnerability, even when it's hard to hopefully allow other people to do the same. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think it's so important for people to realize that as a leader, sometimes I feel like leaders of organizations, or if you're even the leader in your friends and you see yourself as kind of leading the charge, leading the team you want to hide some of your own challenges and struggles because you want to, you want to have sort of a leader vibe. You can depend on me. I don't have any thing struggles. And the fact that you're talking about it, you're bringing it on stage, you're writing beautiful music with it and you're leading the team really shows a great way that it can come together and and create magic and inspiration for your team and for, and for your listeners. Hmm. I'm so glad you said that because I think that, you know, I grew up in kind of a church environment when I was younger and and that was a thing I noticed so much would be like these kind of pastor figures that would just kind of put on this idea that like they have it all together. And then eventually it comes out that they were cheating on their wives or that they, you know, yeah. they were doing all this, you know, um, they, they may have been trying to like speak out against like the gay community while they were actually like having affairs with other men themselves, you know, just stuff where it was like, mm-hmm to me, it always felt like, why are we pretending? Why are people pretending that they have it together? Nobody does. Every leader is going to make a mistake. And um, for me, the, the the most impactful times in my life where I had somebody leading over me, whether it was a parent, whether it was somebody in school or whatever, the most impactful times always were when that person apologized for messing something up. Hey, I did mm. this wrong. I messed up this way that I was leading. This wasn't the right way to talk to you. Whatever. It always felt for... it. Oh, Sorry, it always felt for me like, oh, now I know how to lead better. Because then I, I mm. then I can trust somebody so much more. Like I just I cannot trust somebody who is pretending that they know how to do all of it ever. And so I think to yes. me, a key of good leadership, like uh not to say that this has made me a good leader necessarily, but like <laughs> you can talk to my band and know that there have been a million times I've had to apologize for ways I've done things. And I've really messed some stuff up with them. And it has taken me to be able to like try to humble myself and apologize and also them for being great folks to be able to like forgive me and give me another chance to figure out how to do things well. But I, I think that's essential to good leadership in, in my opinion. 
Yeah. One of the keys for leaders listening here is, I mean, ap- apologizing makes you a better leader. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and it generates people that it generates more trust versus perfection, which is just a sham anyway. <laughs> right. Nobody's going to get it. If you show me a per- if you show me a real perfect leader, let me know because <laughs> maybe I will convert. But I've I've yet to meet one. <laughs> so, what are the things? How do we get sticking with sticking with your band here? What What are the things that facilitate your band showing up as their most authentic selves? Hmm. I think that it's really important for the people in my band to feel fulfilled, and so like a big part of a big part of doing things like the Enneagram and of learning about each other. It's like learning what makes somebody tick because they're all, you know, I'm holding this vision. They're helping create this vision and they're all bringing pieces to that vision. And sometimes somebody in the band is going to have to do a task that they don't love because it just needs to get done. But if there's some core piece of what they're doing, um, you know, we, we were having these conversations a lot this last week because we were at a writing retreat. So we're all working on parts for a new record. And oh, you well, so this retreat you took, it wasn't just you, it was the whole band. It was a whole band. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we were set up in a room, we had all our instruments and we had a lot of conversations about it because people would bring forward, you know, Hey, I think this would go well with this song. And, and then eventually it'd be like, well, maybe this doesn't go well with this song. Okay. Well, you know, how do we, how do we write music where everybody feels fulfilled in what they're doing while it also serves the greater whole? Mm. And so there's times where I might have to make a little bit of a concession for a part that maybe I think like, oh, this isn't my favorite thing, but letting this person have this moment in this song is going to bring enough fulfillment to them in their writing that in the next part of the song where I really need them to not do all the stuff that they were trying to do, it's a lot easier for them to like tone a thing down because they feel fulfilled. So learning like why, mm. why do you love playing bass? Why do you love playing guitar? Like what is it about playing guitar that makes you happy? Is it like noodling and playing solos? Well, that might not really work with the band. Is it, you know, is it because you really love being able to just like thrash around on stage and have fun? Okay. How do we incorporate that into the song or like, how do we incorporate your vision into the song so that you feel fulfilled, but the overall project is also feeling completed. And it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of juggling back and forth to have those conversations and for, for everybody to be reminded, including myself, to be able to come to the door, uh, trying to check our egos a little bit. But I think doing that hopefully has allowed everybody to then feel like freedom of expression and like ways for themselves to like be vulnerable and enjoy things because they feel fulfilled in their roles in the band. There might be a book in there somewhere, David, (laughs) rock band leadership. What a beautiful example of the give and take of leadership and helping your team find their place and under, and you only get to that level if you've done the work to create trust to create open understanding and really getting to know each other in a deep way so you can craft songs and a musical experience that brings out the best for them and for your audience. Totally. Totally. I think that getting to know each other piece is just so important. Um, and not, and not just getting to know, like, you know, what does somebody like to do in their off time? But it's like really the deep questions, like what, what makes you tick? What makes you feel fulfilled? Like those things are important to know. Who are the role models for leadership in bands and or the music industry that have uh, emerged for you? That's, <laughs> that's such a good question. Like I, um, 
I don't know that I know a lot of other bands and how that how they do leadership. Like it's not it's not a thing I've mm. learned a lot about. Um, so I, I don't know that I have a lot of role models other than you know when you hear bands who are talking really highly each, of each other. You know, like you hear somebody like Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters like talking about the rest of the Foo Fighters, and you're like, this is a band who like cares about each other and values each other and and that kind of thing sticks out to me because there's so many instances of the opposite um mm. so i don't know um <laughs> what, a, what a great example and of course they they lost their drummer not right. not long ago and, but I, I really liked what you just said about that because it's just like in any relationship someone that's elevating the people they work with versus maybe not talking nicely or just leaving them out of the conversation altogether versus speaking highly. It really shows you how they lead and what kind of dynamic that they have. Totally. I mean, you hear that and you hear that in like, you know, marriages all the time where somebody will just, they'll be like the old ball and chain. And you're like, you're like, okay, the same thing, like yeah. you're, you're saying it as a joke, but like what's actually going on there versus, you know, yeah. if, if the same person is like, Oh yeah, my wife is like just a badass or whatever, you know? And it's like, yes. Oh, the fact, the fact that somebody's trying to uplift that person, you know, that, that to me speaks volumes. And like when I hear bands doing that, that really speaks volumes to me. What are your main musical influences and what music are you most excited about right now? Hmm. Gosh, <laughs> I, let's see. I love, um, I really love like anthemic kind of pop stuff. Like I love Coldplay. I love fun. I think they put out such a great record mm -hmm. quite a few years ago. Um, you know, I love Taylor Swift's new record. Like those kind of things are really big for me but i also when i was first starting um you know i listened to a lot of just beautiful voices like ella fitzgerald was a huge inspiration of just like somebody who can make a voice sound so smooth and do so much with it and make it sound effortless so mm -hmm. that's some like big big influences on me um right now uh there's there's an artist called holly humberstone that i've been listening to a ton who's just incredible she's from england and um started getting on some big tours doing some kind of like low-key pop stuff that is really just beautiful i think she's an incredible songwriter and she's really young um and there's a band called gang of youths out of new zealand that i got to see this last year and it was just one of the best shows i've ever seen it was absolutely incredible so they've okay. been a big a gang big one for me too i think they were my top artist on spotify this year so gang of youths <laughs> uh gang of youths yeah gang of youths okay Wow, that's exciting! I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah. Check that out. If you could curate a music festival with any artist or band from history, oh, from what history. three to five headliners would you choose? Uh, Tom Waits for sure would be on there. Yeah, we just... um, which he's still alive, but wow. he's not played a show in a long time. So, um. <laughs> it's like there's so many like three to five um i mean i johnny cash <laughs> i feel like if, didn't if I could, expect that one but that sounds awesome original queen lineup would be like queen top, yeah original queen lineup would be like original. the top of the list for me um for sure 
oh, I'm so I'm so bummed that I missed being able to see Queen live. Uh, there's a band that I grew up with. They just quit. They just played their last show, and I've seen them more than any other band that I've ever seen. But they were they really had a big influence on me. Called Me Without You, and I would just I would pay a lot of money to see them again. What um, was it? Me Without You. Me and Without it's like, You. It's okay. all one word, but they were just such a big influence on me. And then I'd probably pick Kendrick Lamar. Wow. <laughs> Kendrick would spice things up a little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Kendrick. Well, Incredible. Thank you. Thank you for uh, sharing that. So kind of why starting to wind things up a little bit. So we're going to hopefully mix in maybe some little clips of some of the awesome songs we talked about today. But if you or meet as you meet people for the first time and they need sort of the starter dose of the collection, where would you, or which song would you send them to first? It's mm. a good question. I, I think I would probably send people to won't stop yet. That might be, mm. that might be kind of the first thing. I mean, of course we just put out a new song called rose colored glasses. So I feel like I'm supposed to say that, but, <laughs> but I feel like, um, yeah. won't stop won't stop yet like melodically and lyrically feels like uh kind of it sums up a lot of like what i'm what i hope to do in the band in many ways mm. well it's a great song and we we felt so we, we were so excited because we were at your at your show in charleston he's like hey we're gonna play a new song hasn't come out yet and sometimes we're like uh-oh we really hope we're gonna like this song <laughs> rose colored glasses <laughs> and Turns out you play it, and my daughter and I were like, "We cannot wait for that song." Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. And it, and it came out, I think, maybe a week or two ago, and it was—it's a excellent, excellent, fun song. Thank you, thank you. Um, I really so yeah, just give them a little little prop it, prop it. Um, <laughs> Becoming my own home. Yeah, uh, a little bit of an older song for you guys. What what's the scoop behind that that tune? I. I got married when I was younger and was married for five years and then went through a divorce and all sorts of stuff happened. I mean, I went through a divorce and then um, she got in a car wreck and it totaled the car. Um, she was okay, but that was kind of like, oh, like the car's gone. Um, the landlords that were renting out our house decided to sell the house. So we had to move out of the house. It was just like, mm all in the period of a few weeks, like all these things changed. And it was like, no, I'm moving to a new city and I don't have a wife and my friends are moving away and blah, blah. Like it was just like a pretty chaotic time. And I was just processing that in this new, I was in this new apartment that was tiny and trying to write music in an apartment is really difficult because you just feel all the people around you and feel like you can't be loud. So I was like out on this porch and I was like trying to run my root like a fan in my room so loud that it covered up my sound a little bit and um i don't know i was just trying to to feel this like like nothing feels like home nothing feels like me like everything that i've ever felt like was home was gone and it was like oh yeah like this is this is what this year is about it's like i have to become my own home i have to be comfortable living inside my skin and my own body because it's the only it's the only thing i have at, at that point especially it was like this is the only consistency i have Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> we've we've listened to that song an awful lot in our household. And there's di but it, there are different ways to sort of think about that as 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 we're experiencing and hearing it, but I do think we 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 all came 
down to that message of what you just said about the importance. It's something coming from within and being comfortable with yourself and the environment that you're in. And it's a journey to get there. And it sounds like a hell of a journey for you to write that song (laughs) at that point. Yeah. I kind of thought when I wrote it, like, okay, well, this is the time in my life this is happening. And now I've got it. And I've just been, it's been kind of a joke to have to keep coming back to that song and being like, well, here's another time in my life that I have to be reminded. I feel like I'm going through that now, just being, having to go through some things and be reminded like, oh yeah, I've got to find this within myself again. (laughs) So it's a good reminder to have to play it every night. It kicks my butt. (laughs) Yeah. When I, uh, we do a lot of coaching in, in my organization. And one of my, when I was going through training myself, um, a guy turned to me and he's like, you know, you really just, you need to coach what you most need to learn. <laughs> and I was like, that's yeah. the only way to really know it. And as if you're singing this song, you'll get to gradually seep in and, and, and be there for you and remind you. I think it's a great song for us to wind this thing up on because a lot of great tunes to check out, but this, this kind of brings it on back home in terms of uh, what's going on. What, what's your parting thought for our listeners today, David? Mm. (laughs) Uh, I think every, I think like everything, not, not to have some sort of like, like leadership wrap up, but I just mean truly everything from, from songwriting to community to, to leading really really comes back to being a good listener like really being able to listen to other people really being able to like hear what they're saying hear where they're coming from and intake it and and being a a good listener takes a lot of practice i think to shut down your own your own thoughts and your own judgments and your own processings and your own ego and i don't know i just hope i hope that we can all like be in a practice of becoming becoming a better listener. Cause I think that's the only way I can figure out how to write good music is to listen to the world and listen to what my body's saying and listen to what other people are saying. And I think that's the only way that I can be good at being in a band and touring and processing is listening. So I don't know, <laughs> I guess it's my way to tie it back to music too. Is that I just think listening is so important. <laughs> listen, listen to yourself, <laughs> listen to the collection, check them out on tour. But man, in the meantime, Just go check them out wherever you can to to listen because I think you'll be thrilled. Thanks, David. Thank you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.